Westgate family. It's a beautiful day. Do you stand up and worship with us? How's everybody doing? 
Great. Well, you can have a seat for just a moment. We are really excited you chose to worship with us today. That's what we love doing here together as a family is worshiping together. Amen? Amen. Um, if you are a first-time guest, please take the time to check out the Visitor Center out there before you leave. It's a great way to get to know what's going on around here and for us to get to know you. Please take the time to fill out the connection card, too. Let's us know you a little bit better as well. And you see my invisible handy phone here. Right? It's pretty nice, right? It's newest from Apple. Um, uh, yes, it's called, the no, it's called the No Phone is what it's called, yeah. Uh, we do have an awesome app that you can check out, just Westgate Chapel, look that up on the App Store um, on your mobile device, or you can go to the website, again, another way for us to get to know you, and on the app, we also have the sermon notes and song lyrics now, so that's pretty cool, too. Um, there's also a ton of stuff. Can y'all believe it's fall already? Right? Who, who, who's excited for fall? Who's not excited for fall? You want more summer? Okay, well guess what? If you want fall, it's fall, and if you want summer, it's still 92 degrees today, so you got what you wanted either way. Um, but there is a lot coming up here at Westgate um, uh, this fall. So we, again, just a ton coming up, so please check out the screen and pay close attention because there's a lot, come, a lot going on. Good morning and welcome to Westgate Chapel. My name is Adrienne and I'm on the worship team here at Westgate. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. It's fall, and that means back to school, football games, and for some of you, it means pumpkin spice everything. It's fall at Westgate, and that means we are in a new season of ministry. Be sure to check out our Westgate app or the tables in the W Cafe so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming events. But for now, here are a couple of things we want to make extra sure you know about. We are excited to launch Westgate's new ministry, Mom Life. Mom Life is a community for moms of preschoolers, birth to kindergarten, and will be a place to grow new friendships and be encouraged as we talk about real things that really matter. Mom Life kicks off September 20th and meets the first and third Wednesday of each month at 9.30 a.m. Check out the Westgate app for more info. We are offering a great lineup of fall classes on Sunday mornings. Classes are designed to help you take your next step in getting deeply rooted in the life of our church and deeply rooted in your relationship with Jesus. Are you interested in learning more about Westgate Chapel or our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance? Are you considering membership? Westgate 101 is the class for you. It begins in just two weeks on September 17th. Is baptism your next step and you want to learn more? In October, we will offer our class for adults that will prepare you for our next Baptism Sunday on November 5th. Have you been thinking about serving at that neighborhood church or in another urban ministry setting? TNCology provides an interactive history of that neighborhood church and training on how you can join the mission to make an impact. Do any of these sound like your next step? Check out the brochure that was included in your sermon notes for all the details and sign up in the W Cafe or on the Westgate app. Thanks again for joining us this morning. We hope you enjoy the rest of the service. So yes, thank you, Adrian. Um, there is a ton of stuff going on this fall. Please, again, check out the website, uh, check out the app, great ways to get plugged in. 
And yeah, for now, I want everybody to stand up. Oh, wow, you guys don't look so excited for this part, man. Yay! And I want you to greet one another and tell everyone who your favorite college football team is and why it's not Ohio State. Boomer Sooner, let's go.
nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. And almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the that question I am fully aware that there may be some people here today that are really struggling with that maybe you come in with some battles maybe you come in with battles maybe you come in with something you're wrestling with and everyone just to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment here and as the spirit leads you you don't have to say this out loud you don't have to do anything out loud I want you just to give it to God. You can say it out loud if you want. You can say it to yourself. Just say, God, I give it all to you. I give this battle to you. And verbalize it for yourself again. You don't have to say it out loud. Say, God, I give this to you. I surrender this to you today. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's something at home. Maybe it's a mental struggle. Something spiritual, something, something really heavy that's weighing on you. And everyone here, when you're ready, I just want you to raise your hands up to God as an act of surrender. Maybe you're uncomfortable with that. Guess what? That's okay. God calls us out of our comfort zones. We're supposed to be called out of our comfort zones. When you're ready, just raise your arms and surrender, saying, God, I give this to you. As we continue worshiping, just let this be your prayer. Don't let this moment pass 
The enemy wants you to leave here unchanged today. He wants you to leave unchanged. He wants you to leave not, having not experienced the fullness of God, having not experienced the fullness of his mercy, the richness of his love, who our guide is, he offers that to you to stay in this moment, stay in this moment longer. And as we continue to sing, let's continue worshiping, surrendering to him.
Jesus, you're my hope and stay. again it never gets old come on lord i chains falling off of people this morning, Lord. Hmm. God, I pray above everything that everyone who comes in here with heavy hearts or any battles, Lord, that they would just truly give them to you today. God, that each and every person here, every single one of us, would surrender to you completely, God, today, and then wake up and do it again tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that, it never stops, Lord, that we would surrender and truly acknowledge what it means to live a life wholly and completely dependent upon you. God, it's not easy, but you are with us always never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. Your word tells us that. We know, we know you are a God who keeps his promises. So we do cry out as one body today, God, just acknowledging our desperate need for you. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ that all God's people prayed. Amen.
As we move into our offering, I get to share a story with you. My name is Julianne. I work here doing outreach and missions. Best job ever. And in 2014, Westgate uh, sent a team of 27 Westgate students, young adults, to serve in Cambodia. So here's a couple pictures of our team. And we did an English camp. We were able to uh, partner with a local CEMA church in Phnom Penh. And uh, we were encouraging the Christian students at that church. And they also brought a non-Christian friend to come learn English and also about the name of Jesus. And so that week, those two weeks we were there was an incredible opportunity to proclaim who Jesus was. And also we were there learning about the partner ministries of the Christian Missionary Alliance and what God's doing in Phnom Penh through our brothers and sisters. And so one of the days we were out at lunch uh, in the country outside of Phnom Penh and we were walking around this church that has different um, skills that they're teaching, different classrooms, sewing, uh, whatever it might be. And so here's a picture of a Cambodian classroom. And so as we were on this property, I wandered into this classroom and was just praying and noticed the map on the wall. And um, as I was looking at it, I said, what, uh, besides being in a different language, what, is, what do you notice that's different about it? And I had a couple people come in, the team with me. They were like, it looks like the map. It looks like our map. But as you look at it, you start to realize that actually, and often on the other side of the world, they orient their continents differently, right? So um, Africa and Asia are on the one side and North America and South America on the other. And it was fun to engage in this conversation, but I also felt the Holy Spirit nudge me and say, uh, notice this, notice this perspective that yes, we're looking at the same globe, they're still the same continents. However, uh, it's a little bit of a different perspective. And so with that, I'm excited to share that we are going to be having our Missions Emphasis Week. It's one of my favorite weeks of the year coming up October 1 through 8. And we are going to be leaning into the hard places. That is what the Christian Missionary Alliance is doing globally and uh, our U.S. church all around the world. We're, we're intentionally going to the hard places. And they are hard for a reason. Um, they are hard to get to. These people are not migrating. There is uh, terrorism, extremism, war, whatever it might be. Um, and so this is our chance, October 1 through 8, to really learn about unreached people's hard places and hear um, stories from a little bit of a different perspective. So we'll get to read, we read what God's doing, but it's fun for us to really hear firsthand. So that week we will be bringing in some international workers that were sent from Westgate almost 20 years ago. Uh, Steve and Christy were sent to a, the largest country in the world. Uh, we live stream, we're weird about how we talk about it, but we'll figure out how to code it well. And so they served there for many decades, learned the language, or not decades, many years. Um, and then, so they have seen God at work in this country. And then their most recent term, they were in the country that that very large country invaded and were evacuated out uh, despite God still at work there. Um, and they've been most recently in Wagen, Germany, ministering to Ukrainian refugees. So they have that perspective shift. They have stories to share. And they also oversee six teams in um, East Asia and Central Europe, Central Asia and East Europe. So we're so excited to hear what they have to share about what they've seen God doing 
and um, also they're going to invite us into what God is continuing to do. So we're excited to hear from them. We'll get a chance to have really fun opportunities at the beginning of the week, the Sundays with the parade of flags, cultural foods, things like that, and then also just be challenged. So it's for our kids up through our senior saints. We're all challenged to lean into this Great Commission and what's our role. And so that's what this week is set apart for. We're looking forward to it. On that Wednesday night, I want you to put this in your calendars now. We have our prayer experience where we're going to really learn how to pray for um, our people that we've sent and these unreached people. So that's a family-wide, um, every age is invited. It's for you. So if you're in this room, this event's for you. So put that in your calendars now. It'll be fun, food, the whole thing. Um, but with that, as we're leaning in and praying about where God's going to take us this week, I also know that God is writing stories in each of you. And you guys have been on short-term trips and served internationally. Maybe you're from a different culture, or maybe God has just put a people group in your heart. And so we want you to be involved. We have a skeleton for Missions Emphasis this week, but you guys bring it to life. So if you want to be part of our Missions Connect team, carry a flag in the Parade of Flags, help bring a food to life, or work on one of these prayer experiences, come find me. We will be out in the W Cafe and also um, after each service, and then also we have everything on the app, westgatechapel.org uh, slash missions emphasis on the events page. There's a sign up form, but we are excited to share the stories of what God is doing through our people, through the people we've sent and around the world. So let's lean into that. So we're going to collect our offering. I'm just going to pray over at Missions Emphasis Week, our church, and what we give generously. God, thank you for the work you're doing. You are a global God, and we want to learn from you, and we want to learn from each other. We want to to know you more in your heart for all people. And so I thank you that we are a church that has a missions emphasis week. I thank you we are a church that has um, a space to give to the Great Commission, that we give over $400,000 a year uh, to send teams as well as to uh, enable workers to serve for your glory, God, in the hard places. I thank you, God, that um, we have local partners that are reaching our community, our neighbors and the nations. So I thank you for what you're going to do through Missions Emphasis Week. Bring it to life for your glory, God. And will you use our offerings today to continue that? Oh, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you'll take the buckets and pass them out to the sides. Good morning again, church family. Uh, if we have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Rob Zimmerman, uh, lead pastor here at Westgate, and uh, we have been going through a series all summer long in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, it has been uh, just a great series. Uh, one, I have loved to hear uh, just from you. I know that many individuals, families, life groups have been uh, tracking along with us, reading ahead each week before we would dive into a specific chapter. Uh, but even more, one of the things we recognize is that as you study scripture this way, oftentimes there are questions that come up in your own reading and your own study that may not be answered during one of our sermons. And so uh, we've been fielding questions from you for the last couple of weeks, uh, what the types of questions you have that are risen from the text. 
And uh, this morning, we want to take those questions that were compiled, and thank you for sending those in, and, uh, and answer some of those for you, recognizing that as we wrestle with the questions that we have, that is an opportunity for the Lord to continue to develop and also strengthen our faith. And so uh, I'm excited to dive in with you. The people here on stage with me this morning are known as our preaching team. And uh, we have a preaching team that gathers together to do all of the planning for our various sermon series. And we plan months in advance and then do the work of shaping uh, the different messages based on as we're praying where we feel like uh, God is moving in our church and what the different needs are and how we can best uh, disciple you. And so uh, I want to introduce them to you, uh, beginning with uh, Julianne. Julianne is our outreach and missions director. Uh, also, we've got Adam Just, who is our adult ministries pastor. We've got Steve Fisher, who is our student ministries pastor overseeing high school, and Dan Russell, who is our middle school pastor. Uh, also not with us that has been serving on this team, and sometimes people come on the team, off the team at different times as we're doing our planning. Uh, Marlena Burrow, our kids ministry director, was going to be with us this morning, but is homesick and did not want to share her germs with us. So we'll be praying for her uh, to get back to health here quickly. Uh, with that, uh, I want us to dive right into the questions, and so Julianne is going to lead us. Uh, here we go. So the first question came out of chapter 16, Mark chapter 16. The person wrote, Jesus issued the great commission saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes in me and is baptized will be saved. Jesus specifically mentions baptized for those who will be saved. What are your guys' thoughts on this? Okay, uh, this is mine. Um, so the question, right, essentially is baptism essential for salvation, okay? Um, and so looking at this, uh, what I believe and what I believe Westgate Chapel uh, believes as well is first I'm going to tackle the first part of, of uh, believing in Jesus um, and how like, that's like the crux of our salvation, right? John 14, 6, uh, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, not except through me and baptism. Um, and so what we see there just in that scripture, what Jesus is saying is that he is the avenue. Right? He is the way to, to be in a relationship with God again. Uh, because of his death and because of his resurrection, um, he saves us from our sin and he, and he bridges that gap that was once there, that, that we were disconnected from God because of what happened in the garden um, with Adam and Eve. Okay? Um, and so it's him. No other option, no other way, like no other add-on. It's, it's believing in Jesus Christ, which gives you your eternal life. Um, and then we see in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And so what saves us? Grace. What is grace? Something that we do not deserve. What is that thing that we do not deserve, right? It is Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, okay? And so how do we, how do we receive that? We um, get baptized? No, we have faith in what Jesus did for us. Faith is believing in what he did, believing in who he was and who he still is, okay? And so, grand scheme of things, right? Belief in Jesus, super important, super necessary for salvation. Um, looking at baptism, uh, we see that it's, it's super important. Um, I would say that all the time, that we see in scripture everywhere, um, but I would say it's not necessary for salvation, okay? Simply just looking at those scriptures I just read, um, 
Luke 23, verse uh, 43, with uh, look at the criminal on the cross, right? Um, he's sitting there and he, he says, like, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Um, and we see that Jesus is like, man, you will be with me in paradise. And this, this criminal on the cross believed in who Jesus was. He understood that he was the Messiah, right? Because no other king can come back from the dead. So he, he knew it. Um, and so we see that he was going to be in, in eternal glory with Jesus. Um, and there was no baptism that happened there. Uh, John 3.16, um, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus, will not perish and will have eternal life. Um, and so if you believe in Jesus, you are saved. Um, and in every scenario that I see in scripture, um, belief always precedes baptism. Um, it's believe and be baptized and you'll be saved like we see here, or believe and you'll have eternal life. Never do I see it says, does baptism stand alone um, with salvation, having to deal with salvation. It's always believing in Jesus. And because you believe in Jesus, um, you decide to get baptized, right? Proclaiming and showing to everyone, I am now, I'm now something different. I, I'm now following Jesus Christ. I'm not who I once was. I'm not following the things that I once was following. Like, I'm, it's a distinct decision of like, it's showing people what's happening inside of your heart and inside of your life. Um, and so in Romans 6, 3 through 4, shows us a beautiful picture of what um, baptism is, right? It's, it's the death to your old self, right? Being fully immersed into the water and then, right, being raised with Christ, raised with a new life in Jesus, uh, which is, it's awesome that we get to be invited into that. Um, and I just would encourage anyone who is a believer who has not been baptized, um, Right, you don't need it. Like, if you believe in Jesus, like, I believe you, man, you're going to go to heaven and I'll see you there in glory. Um, but we see in scripture that it's important, that it's, it's, it's a thing that Je Jesus got baptized. He didn't have to, but he did it in following his example. Um, and so if you haven't been baptized and you follow Jesus, um, I think you should be obedient to God's word um, and be like, yeah, I want to I wanna do this because we see Jesus do it. We're commanded to do it. But it's also a beautiful invitation, like in a beautiful moment in your own faith, to be like, man, I'm dying of my old self and, and coming back and have a new life and a new purpose. Um, so yeah, that'd be, be my encouragement. Yeah, I just, uh, just to piggyback off of that, I know that uh, I think one of the reasons this question gets talked about so much is because there's such a difference between how baptism was practiced in the Bible and in the early church as opposed to how we practice it in our culture today. Baptism was something that you did when you came to salvation. Maybe your experience is a little bit like mine. I've shared before that I grew up in a church where it was almost like there was a litmus test of your faith that needed to be done before you could be baptized. Like, are you really a Christian? Have you proven that you've quite gotten there? But we see with the Ethiopian eunuch in uh, the book of Acts that the moment that he makes that profession of faith, what do they do? They go find water and they seal it. And it's because it is an essential and important moment in the life of every single believer to make that declaration. And it's a declaration not just to the masses that might be watching a baptism uh, for them to have a testimony of what God has done in your life, but I tell every person that gets baptized in this church, it is one of the most essential moments of marking your own personal journey of faith with Christ to say, I have declared and made uh, this declaration, but also identifying myself with Christ's death and his death uh, for my sin. And so I would encourage you to think in those terms that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but have never been baptized, Christ not only calls us to do it, 
but he means for it and intends for it to be a significant marker in our life that we will never forget and hold special significance in our relationship with him. And so I would encourage you, run to the water of baptism and, uh, and look for that opportunity to make that profession of faith and declaration. I, I forgot something too I wanted to add really quick. Um, it's just super important like being like reading your Bible and like seeing what's like really in there. And so right after that is stated in Mark 16, um, right? Um, be, I believe in Jesus and be baptized and you'll be saved. Right after that it says, but if you do not believe, um, you will be condemned. Um, and I believe that's super important to like reading your Bible like, oh, like that's interesting that it says it, it emphasizes belief. It's like, man, that is the crux. That is the difference between salvation and condemnation is believing in Jesus. It doesn't mention um, in, in baptism. It says, if you do not believe, um, that, that is the big difference. And so just being able to see that and really like, oh, wow, that's like, that was really powerful for me. That is some good news. Thank you, God, that we can, we can know him through our belief. All right, our next question came in. Uh, in one of our Sunday school classes, actually, one of our student, our Westgate kids asked this question out of Mark 5.39. They wanted to know, did Jesus sin by lying when he said the girl was not dead but sleeping? Good question. That is a phenomenal question. And I love nothing more that one of our kids in our kids ministry who's like, following along in our services, also in our kids' ministry, has the courage to ask hard questions. Like, that's encouraging to me. Uh, this passage specifically, when you look at it, uh, just to give you a little context, is a reminder that Jesus' disciples are being followed by a very large crowd. It says that a guy by the name of Jairus comes up to them and says, hey, my, uh, my daughter is sick and dying, and asks Jesus, knowing that he has the power to heal, to come and to heal her. And then if you remember in the story, you know, the crowd kind of slows Jesus down. There's a huge throng of people that are there. Uh, the woman uh, that has uh, been bleeding comes, it says, touches his robe, receives healing. Uh, but in that time span of that slowdown, then the servants come and tell Jairus that his daughter has died. And in that moment, Jesus still continues to travel with Jairus to his house as they approach the house, what you see is that it says that there are all these people that are outside weeping and mourning. So in all of the time that it took to journey, they have the knowledge that this young girl is actually dead. And then Jesus walks into the house where people are still mourning. And before he has even seen the girl who is in another room, makes this statement that you see that, that, that basically says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Jesus hasn't even seen her yet. Now, some people try to explain this because they're like, wait, 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 did Jesus lie? There's a couple things you need to know. Number one, the word sleeping, oftentimes even in that culture, was used of death, okay? And so there is a correlation that is there. But I think the really important thing is that some people will look and try to say, oh, well, maybe the girl wasn't dead. Maybe she was just in some sort of coma and Jesus knew that. But remember, he hasn't even seen her yet. And the people that are outside are pretty sure she's been dead for a while. The traveling to go and tell Jairus, then coming back. What's interesting, and I think that really stands out is this, is that Jesus doesn't lie, but what happens is that his statement reveals something about his power. I'll remind you that as we've gone through the study in the book of Mark, Mark is telling this story to help us to know who Jesus is, Right? And slowly but surely, he's revealing more and more of, him, of who Jesus is as Jesus is doing the same. 
And with this statement, what Jesus does is he reveals the limited power of humanity. Every single person in that room looks at this girl that is dead and feels hopeless. All is lost. And yet Jesus looks at this girl and begins to reveal his power and his divinity over even death, which is final for us, but not for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he says, this girl is not dead because in his power she is merely asleep. And he is about to amaze them as he raises her again to life. And so Jesus in his statement, what he actually does is reveals the limited power of humanity and the unlimited power of the Son of God over even death and life. And so uh, I, love, I love this passage for that reason. Jesus is not lying, but revealing more of his person to the people that are present. And again, I'll just say, I love that this question was asked by one of the kids in our ministry here at this church. Yeah, I would just say, uh, you know, on one hand, it's really easy. You can look at, at Hebrews and, and where, where the writer just says, well, Jesus was tempted in every way, but did not sin. And we just leave it at that. But for, to know that in our kids' ministry, they're allowing to ask the questions, and which is good. We need to be able to ask the questions. And then also I appreciate uh, the Gospels, that there's four of them, that also Luke then, the physician, then records that her spirit then returned, right? So uh, kind of echoes what you were already sharing, Rob, about that she was dead and he brought her uh, back uh, to life. And just really quick, uh, just students ask like the most amazing questions. And like for me, I'm a big like, I feel like I have the spiritual gift of faith. Like I'm just like, yep, I believe like Jesus is the guy, right? He's it. But like working in student ministry and working with middle schoolers, they ask me questions. I'm like, man, just like we talked about like different perspectives up there. Students and kids have different perspectives than us, right? And so when they ask questions, don't be like, oh, it's a crazy question. That doesn't make sense. But like, man, it'll, if you dig into those, like it'll, it challenges me in my faith. Because I'm like, okay, now I have to go look and, and read and study and figure out like, okay, what is the answer to this? And say, so like, oh, I just believe because um, I want to give them a good answer. And so just like, yeah, when, when, when students ask things like, really listen and like dig into it because if you're like a faith person it's going to help you even strengthen your faith even more so yeah i love that great well let's ask another question um this one came out of mark 9 but also a whole bunch of passages in mark someone wrote um can a christian person continue in willful sin for example addictions and still be saved can a christian person continue in willful sin and still be saved? Ooh, great question. Um, so a few comments before kind of digging into it to an answer there. One is willful, yep. right? I think we, we, we all agree that uh, when we sin, it is our choice. We are choosing that in, in that form of disobedience and, and not following uh, God's uh, desire for our life. And so we would all say, well, all sin is, is willful. And, and then that passage itself uh, out of Mark 9, um, the, get a picture in your head that Jesus is in Capernaum, his, this, this hometown where he's basically for these three years, and he's in a house. And we know that there's uh, a little, at least one small child that he uh, brought near, and then he's talking with his disciples. John asks a question, and then Jesus has this response where um, 
if you, any of you cause this little one uh, to sin, then might as well tie a millstone uh, around your neck. And, and then he goes into further like severity. And if, if your hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, then take it out. If your foot causes you to sin, um, then uh, cut it off. And so I guess some kind of general observations that we know about Jesus, and we can go back to the beginning of Mark in Mark 2, is that Jesus knows that we sin. He knows that we are, we are sinners. And he calls Matthew, the tax collector, and then Matthew has a party and invites uh, the other tax collectors and Jesus and quote-unquote sinners there. And some of the religious leaders aren't happy with it. But what does Jesus say? I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And I think that's good news for all of us that he, no matter where we are, Jesus, he knows what we do and what we've done and still pursues us and still loves us. And that's kind of the first thing. And then second thing, based on that Mark 9 and other passages, we understand that Jesus looks at sin severely and deals with it uh, drastically. And I think likewise, he wants us to handle it seriously not to play around with it, not just to um, say, oh, that's okay, I, I can, you know, um, just be, oh, God will forgive me, right? Um, and then just kind of go ahead and, and do it anyway. Um, but with that, we still know that it says, uh, while we're still sinners, Jesus died, uh, Christ died uh, for us. So it's a reminder there of the seriousness of it. And, and why? Well, because it impacts our relationships, it impacts our relationships with each other. Sin impacts also our relationship and our connection with God. So dealing with the sin in our lives is important. And a third kind of general comment would be dealing with that is hard. Uh -huh. it, it, it's a challenge. Like when we give our lives to Jesus, Holy Spirit comes in and starts to root things and give us new life. But things still can stick around and I think Paul in Romans or Galatians and just talks about how even when I, 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 why do I keep doing, you can sense the frustration, why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do? Especially with this question, if, if there are addictions, things that we return to, things that we do to maybe try to cope or we numb our, ourselves with, we return back to it. But when we commit our lives to Jesus, Paul also echoes in, in, in Galatians, he says, well, you have this new spirit, you have this new life. The old is gone, the new has come. And there should be a tension because the Holy Spirit in us is constantly at battle with the flesh in us as well. And we should feel that tension. And so how I would generally answer this question, if a Christian person will continue in willful sin, can they still be saved? And uh, I would first point to what is the original, what's, what's the heart? Has the person surrendered and yielded their life to Jesus? Because if so, I think we believe the Holy Spirit comes in and is going to bring conviction upon what we're, we're doing and yeah. will uh, speak to us. I think a, a second piece, um, maybe a word of encouragement or exhortation uh, for all of us this morning is 
um, if I'm engaging willfully in sin and I'm, I'm good with that, if I'm cool with that, then that should be a really big warning. We should, I mean, that should like alarm bells should be going off. If, if, you know, if we're reading God's word and it's not convicting us, and if we're okay, then maybe are we numb to something? Have we just allowed something to sear our conscience so much that we're not convicted anymore? And so that should be a cause for, for concern and also um, to really be asking, uh, how am I doing in my own walk uh, with, with the Lord? So um, can a person continue in willful sin and still be saved? I, I, I'd probably argue if the person's willfully doing that with no conviction, then they're probably not. If the life, they were never yielded or surrendered um, in the first place. But as the believer, there should be um, an angst within us. And uh, one more quick note, difference between guilt, which the Holy Spirit gives, and then shame, which I think Satan piles upon us. Um, is that we know fully in full confidence that, hey, I do make mistakes, I do sin, and I confess, and guess what? I am forgiven. And that's where I need to live, in the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus. Not continuing to return to it and just say, oh, God's going to forgive me, but I'm turning my life. I'm repenting and turning and following after Jesus. So anyone else? And when we were talking about that uh, earlier in the week, what jumped out to me was just Romans 1 and where it talks about that they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Um, and they're talking about sin and depravity. And at, uh, at the end of 1, it says, although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approved of those who practice them. And, and thinking through, you know, when, when we struggle with sin and we keep calling it sin and asking for forgiveness, I think that's good. If we are no longer calling sin, sin, and not only continuing in that, but then approving and congratulating those who also do those things, I think like Adam said, there, there is something then of, man, was the Holy Spirit did you ever even believe? Did, did the spirit, was the spirit ever even really there if, if we have now taken sin and no longer call it sin? Yeah. I would also just quickly add on that I have had this conversation with numerous people that have come to me and they're terrified of, uh, I don't think I'm saved and they're wrestling in this place. And one of the passages that they wrestle with is like uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, which says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, nor swindlers who inherit the kingdom of God. And they go, man, I've been wrestling with sin and some of these sins often and I don't seem to be able to shake it and I'm afraid that I'm not going to be a part of the kingdom of God. Two observations. Number one, what I see uh, Paul listing here is not just sins that people do, but identities of individuals, people that are defined by their sin. And what does he say following up on that? 
Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. In other words, you have been given a new identity in Jesus Christ. That is not your identity. That does not mean that you become perfect, but it means that you are on a trajectory of following Christ and seeking to yield. And can I tell you, if you've ever wrestled with that and your spirit goes, I'm afraid, that's a good thing. Hmm. That's a good indicator that your heart is wanting and desiring eagerly to move towards Christ because your identity is not in your sin. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, there's so many things. Lots of feelings, lots of triggers. Actually, just think, let's just take a moment. We pray just for us as we respond and lean into this heavy idea that we are sinners. Uh, Lord God, uh, Psalm 139 props in my head about Search me and try me. And Lord, will you reveal um, any offensive way uh, within me? God, so for all of us here this morning, God, may you search us and try us. And um, may we give you permission to find any offensive way within us. And, and with that being said, God, we, uh, we just repent and ask for your forgiveness we know of your goodness and grace in our lives. And God, I also pray for freedom that uh, for some of us here, we might really be wrestling with a deep, deep-rooted um, sin or a sin pattern in our life. And God, that you would come and bring, bring healing and bring freedom and that you would break, that you would break chains um, uh, in your name, Jesus. And because we know we know that you who began a good work in us is faithful um, to complete it. So we thank you for working in us and thank you for your grace and your thanks for your love. Um, thanks for what you've done for us on the cross, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. Amen. Amen. All right. Our next question came out of uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Somebody asked, uh, why do some people pray in faith and not receive what they have asked for? This comes out of the passage that reads, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. In college, we were at a house one time and watching some television and an evangelist came on and said, send me a dollar and I'm going to send you this cloth. And you're going to put that cloth, put it on your wallet and pray that God would multiply your finances and he's going to do it. Put that cloth on food if you need food and he's going to multiply it. Put it on somewhere where you have pain and he's going to heal you, but you need to have faith and believe that it is already his will and yours to have. That idea is that God just wants us to always prosper. Uh, we sometimes call that the prosperity gospel, which I would say is no gospel at all. Or the idea of name it and claim it. And they take verses like this and hold them up. If you would just believe, if you would have faith, it is yours. Uh, but I think it misses all of the other scripture that we see. Part of it, uh, looking at like 1 Peter 3, talks about um, sin and how we deal with one another. 
as ways that can actually block um, our prayers being answered. So there's that piece. James 4 talks about um, that the reason your prayers are not being answered is because you ask for them selfishly. And you just kind of treat God as like this vending machine that I just, this is what I want. And, and he's not into that. And I think the biggest problem with that type of view of, of that passage or in scripture in general is it actually takes away from how Jesus himself prayed. If we go just a couple of chapters later in chapter 14, Jesus just before his suffering during the crucifixion and his trial, what, what does he go? He, he goes off to pray to the Father and he says, I know that you can do anything. Would you take this cup from me? This cup of suffering, this cup of wrath, would you take this from me? But not my will, but yours. When he talks about the Lord's prayer, what does he say? Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so we, if we just say you just have to have enough faith, well then did Jesus lack faith because his prayer wasn't answered? No. No, God's, God's will for us is not just health, wealth, and prosperity. It also says that, hey, he wills that some would suffer and be united in Christ in that way. And so for me, when I pray, and maybe I challenge you with this, if, if you say on a scale of one to ten, one is that when I pray, I pray, God, you know, if you want this to happen, I believe in your will, would you just kind of make it happen? And then 10 is maybe I'm always asking and claiming, God, would you do this? Would you do this? I have faith. I believe. Would you do this? And depending on where you fall on that scale, maybe we need to come back towards the middle. Because for some of us, maybe as we pray, your will be done, we do actually need to ask and go before him boldly, as it says in Hebrews, that we're allowed to go before him and request things and say, would you do this? We, we just sang in the song, we see a mountain, but you see a mountain moved. God, would you move this in my life? It is impossible for me to do this. Would you do the miraculous? And then maybe on the other side, as we pray for that, we also have to remember, man, maybe I need to start going and saying, hey, not my will. God, I really want you to do this. Would you heal? Would you, would you make a way in this relationship or, or something? But I know it's your will. And I'm comfortable with your power when you move and also when you don't. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's something we can all write down, put in your notes, and then answer maybe at lunch with your friends. Where, how do you pray, and what, what does this mean for you? All right, we have another question. It's talking about the oldest man manuscripts, the most ancient manuscripts of Mark, conclude with verse 16:8. Later manuscripts add verses 9 through 20. What are we to make of the authenticity and application of these verses? Excellent. So when you read your Bible, and maybe as you were going through Mark with us specifically on that last Sunday, you'll see that most 
uh, Bibles have a little footnote after verse 8 that tells you that verses 9 through 20 uh, are not necessarily considered to be original to the text and to the manuscript and are not found in some of the earliest manuscripts. And so uh, one of the interesting things is that that can cause a lot of questions for us. And uh, here's kind of how I want to begin at least answering this question. I, I believe that one of the most fascinating things about how the Bible Uh, or I'm sorry, one of the most fascinating things about the Bible is how it's been preserved over thousands and thousands of years. You remember that uh, the Bible, as it was originally written, was uh, written and had multiple, multiple manuscripts that were written over centuries, okay? Today, there are over 24,000 manuscripts, copies, if you will, of the New Testament from the original writing to today. And here's, here's what's interesting about that. With the earliest manuscripts that we have, there is only a 20 to 50 year gap between the manuscripts we have and the time of the original writing. What I love about that is that tells us that the manuscripts we hold today were actually in circulation when the apostles and those who wrote scripture were still alive and could verify what was being written. But even more encouraging than that, is that you will find from the earliest manuscripts to what we have in our Bibles today is that there is 99.5% accuracy when it comes to the translation of the text. And of that 0.5% that maybe is off, mostly those textual variants is what we call it, are things like punctuation or little spelling issues, but that have no effect on the theology, if you will, of Scripture. But there are a couple places in the Bible where there's a little bit bigger issues that get addressed. Again, none of them affecting the theology of it. But the passage that we're talking about here in Mark 16 is one of those passages. In most, in earliest manuscripts, two in particular, the earliest ones, verses 9 through 20 are not there. And that causes people to ask the question, is it originally what Mark wrote? Or did somebody add it later? And there is a tension that exists between how do we know what is true? And there's also a tension that exists. Should we then add it into our Bibles or not? And here's, here's, as you think about the question that was asked about authenticity, here's what I would have to say about that. Number one, most scholars believe that Mark meant to conclude his gospel at verse 8. Uh, I would fall into that camp. If you think about how Mark wrote, remember, he was pretty short in everything he said. The other gospel writers, they expound, they go deep. But Mark is really kind of quick and abrupt in all of his storytelling. And with it ending at verse 8, it actually makes sense that that's kind of how he would do it. Um, As well, when you look at uh, things like verses 9 through 20... Uh, you'll see that it doesn't necessarily fit with what we would call Markan style of writing. The style as well as the language that is used does not fit with the language that Mark uses throughout the rest of his gospel. And so many people believe that one of the possibilities is that, well, maybe Mark wrote it later. Uh, you know, maybe something, he, he wrote it, he stopped and then was like, hey, I'm going to come back and add some things. Some people believe that maybe some of his followers or companions also were the ones that wrote that later or other scribes added it as information. How do we deal with that tension and what do we, what do we address? Well, when it comes to authenticity, I think one of the important things we need to remember is this, is that the truths that are presented in verses 9 through 20 are historically accurate. And I want to walk you through just very quickly those things that are said in those verses. And I want you to to follow along with me. Uh, In the passage, it talks about Christ's 
post-resurrection appearance to Mary. That's verified in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 2, and also in John, chapter 20. You'll see that uh, those passages talk about his appearance to two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, again, in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 8, verse 2, or I'm sorry, in chapter 24, verse 35, he verifies that. Uh, this passage in Mark also talks about his appearance to the 11 apostles. That's verified in the, in the Gospel of Luke and also in the Gospel of John. You'll see that the Great Commission is present here in, in this passage in Mark, but also in Matthew chapter 28 and Luke 24, it is talked about. You'll see that Luke verifies also the ascension twice, not only in Luke 24, 51, but also in Acts 1, 9, which he also wrote. Another interesting thing to me is that we read some very interesting signs that are taking place in Mark uh, 9 through 20. And it's the promise of signs that would accompany the apostles' activities. And these are hinted at in the other Gospels, like in Matthew chapter 28, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Uh, and it's also explained in, in John chapter 14 through 16. But when you get to some of the, there's some other weird ones that are in there, like, you know, like uh, they would handle snakes, like snake handlers. By the way, I should just mention that I was told if I brought a snake on stage, Pastor Adam would run, right? So, so no snakes this morning. Also talks about reading of, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, the drinking of poison and that they wouldn't be affected by it. And you go, that sounds weird. Do we hear that anywhere else? Well, Think of in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, verses 3 through 5, references how uh, one of the apostles is taken and bitten by a snake, and its venom shot into his arm, and the people were amazed that it had zero effect on him. I want you to see that throughout Scripture, what we have is that the things that are listed in these verses are historically verified and also authentic. And so while we may wrestle with whether or not these verses were penned by Mark's hand, or by a scribe that added them, that are verified in other Gospels, or whether or not it was written by one of his companions, it does not change the authenticity and the historical uh, verification of the things that are actually written about. And it does not change in any way, shape, or form our understanding of theology. I think I might just add uh, in brief that types of questions like this are good for us to wrestle with. Sometimes it's good for us to sit with these hard questions and struggle because it is the thing that truly begins to build and deepen our faith. And I, I would just say I, I'm one who often questions a lot of things. And so we sometimes get concerned that if I question this, I am somehow going to lose my faith because I'm looking into such things. But if we believe in a God that can raise a girl from the dead, then can we not believe in a God who can answer some questions when I'm searching for them? And that doubt that we can have over things is not something that I just need to sit with and then, well, there's no answer and I'm going to walk away from my faith. But no, it is, a, it, it is time to be challenged and to find the answer, which then actually grows your faith, not diminishes it. Um, and so if, if you are one that like look, looks into that or, you know, here's a TikTok or something of, hey, the Bible's not reliable, go look into it. Yep. Go search. Go study. It might not come quick or easy, but the answers are there and they're good. Mm -hmm. And it will cause you to have more faith in our God, not less. Yeah. That's Amen. awesome. Amen.
Uh, okay, so the last uh, question you'll see in your sermon notes is one that we were all going to answer, but it's our opportunity to take an answer. The question is, what is one thing that God taught you as we went through this series together? So over this many weeks, what is one thing? And so we want to invite you guys to take time to write an answer, uh, think through as we sing this next song. Um, let's uh, share what God has been doing. And if it's today... And you only, this is your first time here? Great. Is there something today that you want to keep talking about, you want to dig into with your family, your life group, some friends, somebody at the prayer room? We, um, we believe that talking about it is how we grow. The tension you heard today, let's keep uh, leaning into that. And so, yeah, we challenge you to share that. I know that's been my favorite part has been talking to these guys about uh, how we've been growing through the book of Mark, reading the Bible together, and then with our life group. So with that, I'm going to pray. Will you join me? Uh, God... You're the best. Thanks for being God. And your ways are higher than our ways. And it's a privilege to read your word together um, and to talk about it. We thank you for those that submitted questions. We thank you with those that are willing to wade into the, the tension in the hard place. We thank you for each of these answers shared today. But we know this is just the beginning. May we continue to um, notice what you have for us. Some of us, it might be about sin. Some of us, it might be about baptism. Some of us, it might be about the authenticity of the Bible. Uh, there's so much surface, God. So we just pray that you'll help us take our next step, whatever that might be, and may we do it together. May we not feel that we have to do it alone, but may we come to you, and may we talk to our people about it so that we can, uh, at the end of the day, know that we were faithful with what you're moving in our hearts, God. We do thank you for this time and continue to worship through song. In Jesus' name.
if you need prayer, if there's anything that you need prayer over, there's something going on in your life, sin that you're wrestling with and can't break free from, or you're dealing with sickness or something, our prayer team would love the opportunity to pray with you this morning. Paul and Diana Schwer are right here up front. Come to the front. We would love that opportunity to pray with you, be it here or over in our prayer room. So at the end of the service, I invite you to come. As well, there's a couple of little small housekeeping things as you're going to go. Number one, there's a really good chance, possibly, that next Sunday we'll be in the worship center, okay? Now, I say all of that knowing that there are real-world contractors working on this project. If you know anything, that means all things could change. So, I will send out an email this week and let you know, are we in here or are we back in the worship center? Pray with me. Let's get out of here. Okay. Uh, secondly, uh, many of you are probably wondering how the uh, offering went last week. And I'll just say that uh, God, throughout our entire journey with this whole worship center refresh, has shown himself faithful, providing for the payoff of our debt, providing for every need as we went through a pandemic. And last week, we raised over $15,000 over what we needed to complete the worship center. Praise God. And... Uh, that comes because our God is the one who provides, but he provides through people like you who are faithful to listen and to say, God, what would you have me do? And what I want you to know is that extra money is gonna help pay for some a few additional costs that came up in the, in the uh, process of doing the worship center, but even more, they're gonna continue to reside in our broad reach fund as a place where we can now go and do ministry in our community, hopefully eventually launch our residency program. For those of you still giving to the broad reach fund, I would continue to encourage you to do so. It is going to enable outreach into our community. And so I wanna say thank you for listening to the Lord and participating and helping us to reach a milestone where we are debt-free and have accomplished what we set out to do. So God bless you and thank you for that. With that being said, church family, I love you. Go out and serve the Lord this week and share his son with all that you come into contact with. God bless you. We'll see you next week.